Welcome to the C3 Church Noosa podcast. Stay tuned for this week's message. Here I am before you, God, you're worthy in this place. Father, you're worthy in this place. Father, I thank that as we stand before a God who's so loving, who's so gracious, who's so full of mercy, God, that this morning you would come and meet with your people. God, it doesn't matter what we bring, just as long as we come to the altar. So God, my heart's cry this morning is that by your Spirit you would come and touch every life in this place. God, no matter where we're standing, no matter what it is we're facing, no matter what it is we're carrying, God, we can come and behold Christ. Know your spirit. God, and in a moment, we can experience peace. In a moment, we can experience joy. In a moment, you can restore hope. In a moment, you can bring life from ashes. So God, I pray this morning that you would come in a cloud of your glory to fill this place. Fill this place. You know, church this morning was, was speaking on Pentecost Sunday and I'm just reminded of those that were gathered in unity in one place and the Spirit of God fell lives were changed from that the church was birthed and i just feel that as we stand in this place this morning you know it really doesn't matter how big the mountain is in front of you if you would lift your eyes on jesus i believe he's going to move it not because of what you do but because of whose you are so father this morning i thank you Come, Lord. Everybody said amen. amen. Good morning, church. Hey, it's so good to see you. Why don't we give this band a hand? That was phenomenal, guys. Michelle, Michelle, Eminem, rocking the house. Phenomenal. You guys are amazing. Jordan, thank you. You two clowns at the back, we love you. Thank you, guys. Hey, you may be seated. Welcome. So good to have you in the house this morning. For those of you that do not know me, my name is Justin, part of the team here at C3 Noosa, and it's wonderful to be speaking this morning. Our fearless leader, Pastor Christian, is down on the Gold Coast in Rabina. Hey, Nick, how are you? I feel nervous all of a sudden. Down in Rabina speaking, so we just pray that he touches lives. Um, he's speaking now there to C3 Church Rabina, so I'm sure he will have an amazing time. We love him. We're grateful for him. Pray he comes home safe. Um, so this morning, as I mentioned, we're, we're talking around Pentecost Sunday, which is really in the book of Acts, we read of the disciples and, and the followers of Christ waiting in an upper room for the Holy Spirit to be promised, and He comes. And so this morning, I want to share a bit on that, but I'm going to be a bit sneaky and just contextualize a little bit around this idea that God is the God of the second chance. And, you know, I'm really expecting this morning that God is going to come as I was praying and just really move on hearts. Um, I, I feel that there is a divine appointment waiting for some of you this morning that have come into church. You may not feel that way, 
but I'm telling you, God does. And I think for some of you, it's almost a sense that you need a shift, and you need something to change, and you need a new revelation of who God is for you and to you. And so I kind of felt it as I was preparing the message this morning that God wanted me to remind you and remind us as a body of Christ that He is in fact, by His very nature, a God of the second chance. He's a God that can redeem. He's a God that can restore. He's a God that doesn't matter what's happened behind you. God's more interested in, in taking you forward in life. Amen? And so my title of this message is just that. He's a second chance God. And I think we can all agree if I had to give us a moment to reflect on life and, and maybe the journey so far and what has been, that we would all find moments in our life that have maybe been a little bit dark. Moments maybe where we've had lapses in judgment, maybe where we've, we've fallen short of who we know we are, and we've sinned and we've hurt ourselves and we've hurt people, and really they're moments in life that we don't really want to talk about that much, you know, we'd rather not discuss, we'd rather just get on with things, but um, the reality I think can be a little bit different if we understand that as children of God, we have an enemy, a spiritual enemy, in Revelation 12.10, he's called the accuser of the brethren, and he does just that, the enemy does everything in his power to continually try to condemn and accuse you in life of things that maybe you haven't done so well. Bring it, you know, you've got to picture him as that little guy in your background, in your past, going through the filing cabinet of your life, looking for material and things that he can use against you, to accuse you and condemn you. And what he's trying to do is put a mantle over your life that will weigh you down and cause you to fall to your knees under, under weight often of guilt and shame and the reason that I'm talking about this and we need to take it so seriously is because Christians seem to trade too easily the mantle that Christ said he's paid for, for the mantle of what the enemy is. And so we find that instead of walking in liberty and truth and experiencing freedom, we find that we, we, we have people in the life of church that are bound and they're in darkness and, and that they've got this weight of guilt and shame over their over their lives, over their families, and they've lost their voice. They've stopped believing. And the problem is that if I'm bound and I'm in darkness, then I've lost my way, and I don't have direction, and I can't see where I'm going, and, and, and I'm like the Bible calls a sheep that's lost. It's scattered from the sheepfold, and it no longer sees or knows where the, the, the shepherd is. And if I've lost my voice, the problem is that I've stopped worshiping. And if I stop worshiping, I'm stop bringing myself before the throne room of grace and mercy where there's light. And if I stop exposing myself to light, then that which is in the darkness is never exposed. And if it's never exposed, it means it only gets heavier and stronger. And so we continue in this downward spiral of carrying this mantle of guilt and shame. And it only feels through the years and months and weeks that it gets heavier and heavier and heavier. Amen. And so I was just thinking through... You know, I love what Pastor Melissa said last week, that we as a church and as a body of believers need to find our voice again. We need to get courageous and a little bit strong, a little bit bold in standing up for who we believe in and what we believe in. We've got to find our voice. We've got to see men and women coming through the life of church that know what it is to carry the mantle that Christ has for us. That we have men and women and families in the life of our church that walk in freedom, that walk in liberty that have peace over their life, and they're not ashamed to worship God in every circumstance, because what the Bible tells me about worship is that it fills His courts. And if it fills His courts, that means that we're sounding out, we're drowning out the other voices we don't need to hear, amen, the voices of the enemy. 
And so Matthew 16, 24, it speaks in context there of Jesus, and he's talking to his disciples and those around him, and he's saying, this is what it takes to follow me. If you want to follow after me, then you need to deny yourself. You need to let go of the things that you want, the desires that you necessarily feel are important to you first, and put me first. If you truly desire me and want to follow me, you've got to pick up your cross, and you've got to follow after me. And I felt like God say, as I was just meditating on this passage of Scripture for this morning, He said, just, you know, too often people forget that the purpose of their cross was to be carried, but rather they've allowed themselves to be nailed to it. Now, you've got to understand that it is not our job to be nailed to the cross. Jesus did that for us 2,000 years ago, amen? But yet we have so many people that found themselves arrested and stuck in life, and instead of following after Christ, they said, no, God, I've got to go to the cross. You need to nail me to the cross, I'm condemned, I'm a sinner, I don't deserve the life of God, I don't deserve you. And so we allow ourselves to be nailed to the cross, we allow nails of condemnation to go into the cross, and rather than doing what God's asked of us, we become stuck. And the problem with being nailed to the cross is you can't use your hands, so we stop worshipping. The problem with being nailed to the cross is you can't use your feet, so you stop following after Jesus. And church, I feel this morning God has placed a man in my heart to declare the time has come for us to get off the cross. We don't need to be on the cross anymore. We don't need to carry that burden. That burden was carried for you and I 2,000 years ago, and the work has been done. Christ has bought us freedom, and he's bought us liberty, and he's given us a mantle that we can wear that does not condemn, it doesn't accuse, amen? And so my conviction really is that we're living in an age where people are doing kind of that. They're professing Christianity with what they're saying, but when you read the headlines and you talk to people behind closed doors, they're kind of rejecting God with their lifestyles. And behind closed doors, they are bound, and they are broken, and they're walking in darkness, and they're struggling. But at what point, church, do we say, you know what, enough's enough? At what point do we say, you know what, we've got to find breakthrough. We've got to come to a point where we start crossing over from being bound and walking to freedom. And so what I'm talking about this morning is laying hold of that which Christ has done for us on Calvary, through the power of, of obedience and also by His Spirit. And so if you have your Bibles, I want you to come with me to John 8. We're going to kick off in verse 2, and it says this. It says, Now early in the morning He came again into the temple, and all the people came to Him, and He sat down and He taught them. Then the scribes and the Pharisees brought to Him a woman caught in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they said to Him, Teacher, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act now Moses in the law, everybody say law, commanded us that such should be stoned, but what do you say? They said this testing him, that they might have something of which to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote on the ground with his finger as though he did not hear. So when they had continued asking, he raised himself up and he said to them, He who is without sin among you, let him throw the first stone. And again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. Then those who heard it, being convicted by their conscience, went out one by one, beginning with the oldest even to the last, and Jesus was left alone, and the woman standing in the midst. And when Jesus had raised himself up and saw no one but the woman, he said to her, woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? She said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said to her, neither do I condemn you. Everybody say grace. Go and sin no more. Then Jesus spoke to them again, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. 
And herein represents the perfect picture of God's grace and mercy. It's really a story about a woman whose life was touched by the power and the work that was about to happen on the cross. Amen? And it's a story of grace, meaning the law, and overcoming the law, not because the law is inferior, but because, because the law was about to be fulfilled in all things that Jesus was about to do. Amen? And I think for us, church, to understand this concept of God as a second chance God, we've got to understand this transition from law into grace. You see, law demands from us atonement, and it seeks deeds, and it measures our works, and it puts the responsibility on us, earning right standing with God. It, it makes us work to feel worthy for who Jesus says we are. And when we read in the story, we read of a woman who's caught in the act of sin. And I find it interesting that we never have to debate that. This woman is guilty of sin. She's caught in the act of adultery, and by the law of the day, she was deserving of its punishment, which was to be stoned to death. We cannot argue that is the law that Moses handed down from God to the people. So there's nothing wrong with that. She's convicted of a sin. She should be guilty and should pay the price. And so we have the Pharisees and the scribes that in the scripture represent the law. And they bring this woman, probably naked, probably very ashamed and guilty and embarrassed. And they throw her at the feet of Jesus, who in this context represents grace. And the first thing the law does is it accuses and it condemns. And it reminds us of how far short we've fallen, deserving of God's love. Amen? The first thing the Lord does is it seeks to accuse you and make you feel unworthy about who you are and the life you live. And I want to say that the law has this horrible habit of trying to pick up stones in your life and look at opportunity to throw them at you. You know, and sometimes, and maybe for some of you this morning, you feel like you're constantly surrounded by circumstances and situations where people are just on the knife edge of throwing stones. If it's circumstance, if it's your situation, if it's your environment, you feel that you're not good enough, you feel this is accusation and condemnation in your life, and if you do one more thing wrong, people are going to start unleashing the stones. For some of you, maybe you're already carrying scars and cuts and bruises from receiving those stones. And it doesn't matter how many times you've come before Jesus and you hear the story of grace and redemption, you can't help feel like this woman, a little bit naked before God, a little bit ashamed, a little bit guilty, maybe even feeling a little bit deserving of what the accusers are shouting in your life because deep down you know you can't even deny maybe the sin that's going on in your world. You know you're guilty of it. And in some small way, if you feel you can identify with this, then I want you to stay with me because I want to speak truth in you this morning. I feel that God set up a moment for you and I to hear a truth that's going to lift that mantle of guilt and shame off your life this morning. That's going to bring freedom. That's going to get, bring breakthrough this morning. A revelation that's going to set you free. Because the interesting thing is, as we read in the story is this. Jesus, as the, as the laws brought, and, and people are accusing this woman and condemning this woman. It says Jesus just stoops down to the ground and begins to write in the sand as if... He does not hear what they're telling him. As if he hasn't heard what people are trying to tell him. Jesus, you've got to understand what this woman has done, how guilty she is of her sin. She deserves what Moses in his law has said she deserves. But the, the, the Bible says that he, he, he ignores it. He pretends to write in the sand. He writes in the sand, not hearing it. And I want to tell you this morning, church, I feel like God wanted me to just to express to you this morning that Jesus does not take into consideration and listen to the lies and condemnation and accusations that the enemy would speak over your life. 
Jesus doesn't care for them. He doesn't need them. He doesn't take them into account. He doesn't put any weight of them when he forms his opinion of you. There's this power that is on grace that has the ability to shut out the voice of the enemy, to shut out the accusations and lies from what Jesus is hearing when he's looking at your life. Amen? And, it, and the beautiful thing about grace is that it already knows all your weaknesses and all your faults and all the sin that you are guilty of. And in spite of that, it still looks to forgive. It still looks to make you clean. It still looks to give you a second chance and to wipe that clay clean. And some of you sometimes can't help feel so guilty at what God must be thinking when he looks at your life. What must God be feeling? How disappointed he must be? How he must be sitting up in heaven going, oh, I don't know about that. And oh, dude, you know, we're going around the same mountain again and you're still doing this to yourself and your family. But I want to encourage you, it's not what I read in this story in the Bible. I read of a Jesus who doesn't even take the time to listen to what the law is bringing against this woman. Jesus doesn't need to. Why? Because he's the higher authority in that story. See, what you've got to understand is Jesus is about to go and do something, the ultimate act of love, the ultimate sacrifice that would give him authority over every sin, every power and principality, including this woman in that moment. What Jesus was about to do on the cross was spill his blood, which would give him a power to forgive every sin and wipe every slate clean. And so as we read on, we discover how Jesus responds to the law how he responds to these guys bringing an accusation against this woman. He says this, he says, he who is without sin amongst you, please let him throw the first stone at her. And I love this, because Jesus is cutting straight to the heart of this situation, and he's saying, you know what? People who live in glass houses shouldn't throw stones. Condemnation is very quick to forget its own sin. That, that, that the accuser of God's Children is, in fact, the chief amongst sinners. Amen? You know, there's a, there's a scripture in Romans 3.23 that says, For all have sinned, all have sinned, and fall short of the glory of God. The truth is, church, we've all fallen short of God's glory. And outside of Christ, every man, woman, and child has sinned and is deserving of its wages, which ultimately is death. But what Jesus is doing here is he's almost leveling the, leveling the playing field with the scribes and Pharisees. And he's saying, guys, you know what? This woman isn't the only one out on that little lonely branch right now. You are all fallible in your humanity. And if you don't do and accept and take into your life what I'm about to do for you on the cross, then you know what? You're not going to make it. You're disqualified. All of you right now are disqualified. And so the truth is, church, when we carry sin and are deserving of punishment, really we shouldn't be allowed into the presence of God. But there's good news and there's hope. Amazing hope, because what I find in my Bible in the story is that there's this amazing shift that comes from darkness into light. There's this amazing encounter with grace and a rescuing from the law. Because as we read on, finally we understand that this woman, she's left alone. Jesus says this amazing thing, and kind of people go, oh, I'm a bit diffused and deflated. And so they drop the stones, and one by one they leave this woman until she's just left alone in the presence of Jesus. And I can just imagine him very gently and caringly lifting her to her feet in all that she is, in her nakedness and her shame, and looking into her face with such compassion and mercy and grace, and asking a woman, where are those that have accused you? And when she realizes they'd gone and says to him, Jesus, they're not here, he says something even more profound. 
He says, no one's condemned you. Well, guess what? Neither do I condemn you. Neither do I condemn you. You've got to understand, for us, it's just a sentence, but for this woman, in the context of living in the law, it's something that's never been done or experienced before. Here is a man who has the power to forgive her of her sins and give her a second chance where she knew, coming into that situation, there was only one, one, one consequence. Very slow and painful death by stoning. That was what the law required, and there were enough Pharisees and scribes to make sure that it was going to happen. And all of a sudden, she's walking home, probably tears coming down her face, not quite understanding, but so grateful that she's had a second chance. Church, that is a story of grace meeting the law and grace overcoming the law that someone would have a second chance in Christ. The beautiful thing is that this woman didn't deserve it. She was caught in the act of adultery. And by those standards, she should have gone through with the penalty, which was death. But she received it. Why? Because of what Christ was prepared to do for her purely because he loved her. Amen? So how is it? How is it that Jesus so easily can ignore the requirement of the law? How could he just excuse this woman in this moment? Well, as I've already alluded to, I believe that as he went down and he drew in the dust before her, that he pictured his body broken and bruised on the cross. He knew it was coming. He saw his life surrounded in glory as God raised him up. And I believe he heard the angels in heaven rejoicing as every sin was atoned for, as payment was made in full, and the power of guilt and shame was broken. See, in that moment, Jesus understood that he was able to take what this woman had in her life upon himself. And because of that very fact, no one else knew what was going on in the story, but he knew that he was about to be that spotless lamb led to the slaughter, completely undeserving. He didn't deserve it. He didn't worry it in his life, but he was prepared to do it because when he looked at this woman, he didn't see her through the eyes of the Lord. He, see, he saw her through grace. He loved her, and he said, you know what? She deserves a second chance. So it doesn't matter what the enemy says. This is what I say. It doesn't matter that you're deserving of what you've done. This is what I say. It doesn't matter what people have labeled you and condemned you and how they look at you. This is what I see. And I'm not listening to what the world's telling me about you. I'm not listening to what the enemy's telling me about you. I'm not listening about what your partner or your son or your husband or someone at work is telling me about you. This is what I'm telling you about you. This is how I see you. This is what I've done for you. You know, this woman was thrown down a sinner, but she was raised up forgiven, amen? Jesus, Jesus in, the, in the very presence, she came into his presence full of guilt, full of shame, knowing full well what she's done, but she left him walking in freedom. As I said, she didn't qualify for a second chance, but she got one. You know, and Satan is always quick to gather those in your life ready to throw stones. Satan will always look to rally those against you to condemn you and throw stones. But there is a power through the name of Jesus, through the blood that is shed on the cross that negates anything, any attempts that the enemy would bring against you, any accusation, any condemnation, any lie, and any argument. There is power in the death of Christ on Calvary that negates that all. That says, if you would just come to me and call on my name, then I will start to drop the stones from your life that people cannot throw them at you. Amen? You know, I feel this morning, church, that God wants to break that yoke of guilt and shame that for too long has kept you wound up, bound up, stuck, immobilized, left in darkness. 
You know, and sometimes we feel that there's just no way that we can get beyond what we're struggling with. You know, sometimes in life we've, we've, we've just tolerated and been round and round the same mountain for so long that we kind of convince ourselves, you know what, it's just who I am. It's just who I am. It's part of my nature. It's part of what, what's going on in my world with my family and my kids. It's just what I've got to deal with and put up with. And if I've got to take another stone, you know what, I've just got to take another stone because that's all I've come to know. And I can't come before God and I can't stand before Him and I can't enter into breakthrough because it's just, it's too much for Him to look at. Almost as if God can't handle what's on your life. If He just saw it, man, He would be so ashamed. He would be so embarrassed. If He saw me, man, I feel like this woman. I'm naked and broken. I got nothing to give. I'm just guilty. But church, you want to understand that when Jesus looks at you, He can identify. He knows exactly what it is to be ashamed. He knows exactly what it is to be broken. He knows exactly what it is to be forsaken. He knows exactly what it is to be. God is so clever that when he orchestrated the perfect sacrifice, he set it up that his son would walk through and go through and know everything that you struggle with in your life, and he would take everything to the cross. Jesus understands what it is to carry a burden of guilt and shame because he took yours on him when he went to Calvary, amen? And knowing that, he says, and we sing it in, in church this morning, come to the altar. Come to the altar. All you need to know is that my Father's arms are open wide. Come, it doesn't matter what you're bringing. just matters that you come. My Father is strong enough that he can carry you in this moment, but he's gentle enough that he will repair your heart. He's gentle enough that he will work through the things and challenges and the, the darkness and the blackness in your life. He's gentle enough that he can deal with that but nothing scares God. Nothing puts God off. God is strong enough to take your life as it is right now and from the ashes bring new life. Amen. And so I love that worship song that we sing, Come to the Altar. And it says this in verse 2. It says, leave behind your regrets and mistakes. Come today. There's no reason to wait. Bring your sorrows and trade them for joy because from the ashes a new life is born. From your ashes, from your brokenness, from disappointment, from lost dreams, from unmet expectation, from hurt, from the ashes in your life, God has the power to raise new life. But you think the thing for us, church, is we've got to start changing the language. We've got to start speaking heaven's language. We've got to start aligning our life to God's word and not God's word to our life. We've got to speak into every situation and circumstance, and no matter how bleak it looks, what does God say? What has God promised? What does His Word declare? And as we start speaking that, as we start speaking that and trusting in God, I believe that He has the power to be a new life in your hopeless situation, and as you see that, you would know that it's not by your hand, but it's by His, that God would supernaturally do something new in your world that you cannot stand and say, it's because I've done it. No, it's by the grace and mercy of what God has done for me on Calvary that I have a second chance. And in experiencing that church, I'm telling you, you will find a voice to worship again. When God comes through so much bigger than what you'd expect, you'd find a voice to worship. And as you worship God, you're brought back into his throne room. You're exposed to his light. You're redeemed, amen. And I'm reminded of Ezekiel the prophet that God took into the valley of dry bones. And Ezekiel's up to his waist in dry bones, and it's pretty bleak. And God says, what do you see? And Ezekiel says, well, Lord, I see dry bones. Ezekiel, do you believe that they can rise again? 
Do you believe that they can rise again? What do you see? God's not expecting you to be ignorant in your life of what's going on. But he's saying, what do you see? God, my marriage is falling apart. God, I don't have a job. God, I'm struggling with depression. Right now, my kids are just out of control. Do you believe that I can raise them back to life? Do you believe that I can restore your marriage? Do you believe that I can reconcile your children back to you? Do you believe that I can provide for you? Do you believe that I can break the chain of bondage over your life? God, I do. Well, then speak my word. Speak to the dry bones. Speak to the hopelessness. Speak to despair and declare in Jesus' name that new life is coming, that hope will be restored, that it's not the end, that it's not the curtain call on my life just yet. There's another scene to come. The next chapter is just around the corner. If you will just speak and believe, God will raise those dry bones. Amen? It doesn't matter what you bring to the altar. It doesn't matter what you're carrying right now in your life. It just matters that you come. It just matters that you come because you will meet a God who has the ability to change things in a moment, to forgive He's strong enough to carry your church. As we begin to come to a close, I just want to read you. You know, we're talking about Pentecost Sunday, and this message has been heavy on my heart, but I want to read you something that Jesus is declaring over his life in Luke 4.18. He says this. He says, the Spirit of the Lord, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed. The same spirit that was on Jesus came and fell on his disciples and is on you. The same spirit that enables you to, that enabled Christ to go and bring, bring hope and his disciples to speak hope to those that had no hope is on you. The same spirit to go and heal a broken heart that was on Jesus and his disciples is on you. The same spirit that would restore the sight to the blind wasn't just on Jesus and his disciples, but it's actually in you. It's on you. It's on your life. And so as we, in that place and moment of despair, say, you know what? I'm going to call on the name of Jesus. I need a second chance. I'm going to call on the name of Jesus. The moment you engage God, not caring what it is you're carrying, but just engaging in God, we activate that spirit in our life. That supernatural work of the Holy Spirit in our life has the ability to redeem and to restore. Amen. I might get the band up if I can, guys. That would be awesome. You know, God is the God of the second chance, and I felt so heavy on my heart just to bring that word this morning that God desires not to bring the curtain down on your life, but to give you a second chance, to say there's many more chapters to come if you would trust me, if you would come before me. And for some of you, I alluded to earlier that you feel that that yoke is just impossibly heavy on your life. That if people really understood and really knew what it is that you've dealt with, had to cover up, had to accept, had to learn just to walk with, there's no way that A, people or B, God could accept you. That really it's just too late. I've just journeyed with it for too long. And I've been bound and broken so much that it's just become part of who I am. And if that is how you're feeling, then I want you to remember that thief that hung on the cross with Christ. The thief that hung on the cross under guilt and shame, a life of sin as he hung on the cross next to Christ, his final hour, probably never dreaming that he'd be in the company of the Son of God. But in this moment, he finds himself there. And in a moment, despite who he is and all that he is, 
he recognizes this man doesn't deserve to be where he is on the cross. He does. The thief does. He's lived a life of sin. He's stolen, been corrupt, done the wrong thing. He deserves to be on the cross. He's paying for what he's done in his life. But there's a man next to him who doesn't, who's blameless. And in the moment, he recognizes that that's Jesus, the Son of God. And I love this exchange. This is another grace to law exchange, law to grace exchange, where he says, Jesus, I'm not expecting that you're going to forgive me. I'm just asking that you would remember me. Remember me when you're in heaven. If you would just look at me now in my despair, in my nakedness, in my shame, I'm hanging with you on the cross. I just ask that you would remember me. And I love that Jesus looks at this thief and he says, I'm going to do more than just remember you. I'm going to do more than just remember you. Assuredly, I say to you today, you will be with me in paradise. A life lived in sin. He was only going one way, church. But in a moment, in a moment, God, God gives him that chance, that out, that enter into heaven. He says, surely I say to you today, you will be with me in paradise. This guy just asked to be remembered, and he received salvation. You know, and sometimes we get so used to the weight on us that we, we can't even ask God for what he wants us to. And so we settle for God. It would be great if you could reconcile my kids, but God, if you could just help me to sleep at night, that'll be enough. Well, God, I don't have a job, but if you could just maybe, maybe just give me a bit here and a bit there just to get by, then that's okay. But church, I want to tell you, God did something on the cross to give you more than just okay. God did something on the cross to give you more than just the bare minimum. God did something on the cross to actually redeem your life and restore it, that you would live the life he died for you to have. And so I feel that there are people here this morning that you've got to stop asking God just for the, the scraps on the floor. He's got a place for you at His table. He has a place for you at His table, church. Why don't we stand this morning? You know, I, I really want us just to come into a time of worship this morning because I believe really that God wants to minister with you this morning. There's an opportunity in this place for, for people to encounter Jesus. And I believe this morning, and I really believe this in my heart, that yokes are going to be broken off people's lives this morning. Bondages are going to be broken off people's lives this morning. That it doesn't matter what you come, it's just that you would come. That the Father's arms are open wide. I feel this morning that God wants to give people in this place a second chance a second chance to what He's done on the cross, to the power of His Spirit. God wants to give you a second chance that it's not too late, church. So we're just going to go through and I want us to sing the song if we can. And as we do that, I just want you to come. I want to stand with you and I want you to agree that today's the day you get a second chance. Today's the day that you do not have to carry guilt and shame Whatever it is that's been accusing you, condemning you, today it stops. Today it stops in Jesus' name. Today you can walk with what Jesus paid the price for you to walk in. Freedom and liberty and truth. It's time to receive that this morning. Don't settle for less, church. Don't settle for less. God has a higher purpose for your life if you would just come. 
trust Him this morning that He's strong enough to handle whatever it is you would bring to the altar. And He's gracious and merciful enough to say, you know what, it's okay. I took that on the cross. I covered that. I got you covered. If you would just come, I want to release you this morning in Jesus' name. If that's you this morning, we're just going to worship. I just want you to come down. I'd love just to pray with you and just see those things lifted off your life. Thanks for listening to the C3 Church Noosa podcast. Visit us online at c3noosa.org.